welcome to everyone this evening and to our guests. We are so glad to have you in service with us on this Thursday evening. Thank you for being with us tonight. Amen. I know it's the middle of the week. It's hot. Everybody's moving slowly. So if you're watching us online, we welcome you tonight as well. And um, it's good to have Sister Nina in service with us. She's, she's one of my Sunday school teachers. I think she was probably only like two or three years older than me, probably. <laughs> but, and is this a granddaughter? And a granddaughter. Welcome. It's good to have them. Amen. Praise God. Well, uh, you can remain seated. I'm going to begin for a few moments without reading, but I promise you I will read plenty of uh, scripture. So, let's see here. Let's see if we can, if I can make sure I got my part done here. All right. If you all can, I think I, I think I, I think I did my part. Maybe not, but if you can switch the iPad on. Well, this is this is hopefully not three strikes and I'm out because. Um, Several weeks ago, I tried, and that's my understanding that some of you heard my mild expression of frustration because the live stream was still going, and I didn't quite realize that it was still going. Um, thankfully, I didn't, you know, I didn't say any bad words or anything, but I was, I was, I was pretty frustrated, so... Um, Come, come confirm the old guy is doing it, right, Jalen? I think I have it right here. All right, thank you very much. So, as uh, I stated, <laughs> this will be the third uh, lesson on the will of God, and uh, the first two, the first two times that was that was just the title, the will of God. But this is this is the subtitle, and I realize the word severity um, is obviously connected to the word severe. And when we think of severe, maybe, you, I don't know about you, but one of the things that comes to mind is maybe someone treating someone severely. But that, that's not the context of which I, I intend, this word, intend, this, intend to use this word, because basically this word also just means seriousness, soberness. And there is an element to us doing the will of God that we need to recognize the severity of it. I, I fully believe with everything in me that the idea of us having a personal, intimate relationship with God 
is for all of us and that God is a friend and God is someone that we fellowship with and God loves us and God is patient and kind and all of that. But there's, there's some other aspects of God. And it's easy to focus on all the warm, fuzzy parts and ignore that God has some other sides to Him. And so that, that's part of the context because, again, as I've said a couple of weeks now, and just for lack of better terminology or spiritual terminology, but two words that come to mind to, to, to sort of describe it, and that is the, the micro and the macro will of God. And again, the macro will of God, meaning the big decisions of our life, the big choices we have to make, the direction we're going. And then the micro will of God, that, that's the everyday moment by moment will of God. And so not only is there a will of God for the big choices and the big decision directions in our life, but the day-to-day, moment by moment parts of our lives, there is a will of God. And the basis of that will of God comes stri- simply from the Word of God. I don't need God speaking to me second by second, telling me every little thing to do when He's given me His Word that gives me guidance. And I feel like we, we, we at least subconsciously put this thing of the will of God in this category of an option. It's a choice. Well, I, 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 I want to do the will of God or I don't. Or I know I'm supposed to do the will of God, but I don't really know that I want to do the will of God. Well, I, I hope that by the end of this evening, you will have a different perspective on that. Because there are some very sobering things in Scripture when it comes to the importance of you and I doing the will of God. In fact, I'll say it this way, and I'll read some verses I think make it very plainly. There's a whole lot that hinges on whether or not you and I do the will of God in our lives. I don't like being told what to do. As I said, I think the first time I taught on this subject, it's about ownership. Can you imagine? I know cars can't talk and they don't have feelings, whatever. But can you imagine if it was possible you got in your car and cranked it up and you started down the road and you put the blinker on to turn right and your car responded and said, you know what, I don't feel like going that way right now. We're going left. (laughs) Excuse me? Why? Because I own you. You serve me. You go where I point you to go no difference with us and God he owns us he owns us we belong we are not ours we have been bought with a price and the same way I don't care where my car wants to go there's there's a part to all of this that's kind of that way with God it's not about what you and I want it's not about what our preferences are the good news is he is our heavenly father and therefore the good news is everything he does or everything he allows is based on his love for us and Paul said that everything works together for good 
to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So, let's go to Matthew 7. And I know Bishop used these verses many times last year. Many of you are already familiar with them before that. I've used them some these last couple of weeks, but I want to use them again this evening. Matthew 7 and 16 says this, You shall know them by their fruits, not by what they say, not by what they profess. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. It can't. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Now, watch this. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not about what is said, but here's who is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Getting into heaven is not based on a profession. It's not based on just the words we say. It's based on the fruit that's in our life and the fruit that comes from us doing the will of the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And then look at these last words. Remember, what did they just say? We prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. We did many wonderful things in your name. They were saying, look at all this stuff we did for you. And he says, not only do I not know you, but what you were doing was actually working iniquity. Lawlessness. Said it many times. I'll say it tonight. I'll probably say it again at some point in the future. The condition of our world today, the condition of this country is not Washington, D.C.'s fault. It's not Hollywood's fault. The condition of this world today, you want to put some blame somewhere, it goes on the pulpit. The Lord said to Ezekiel, he had an issue with his priests because they didn't put a difference between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean. I, I told you, those of you that were online a couple weeks ago when I tried to stream from home as the generator was on and then the power came on and then the back and forth. I, I really, I, I'm not sure which way I'd rather teach this. Some ways I think I would have rather taught it sitting in my living room just looking at the lens. Because I don't have to look at... The, the, your facial expressions, and it's, I don't have to feel your spirits because this is, this is one of those, this is one of those yeah. things I don't enjoy. 
my job, my responsibility, and my soul is at stake if I choose to just tickle your ears and only say what you want to hear. He said, you're saying you did all this in my name and and for me, and I'm telling you, not only do I not know you, but everything you were doing was actually working against me. But again, the primary focus of tonight, going back to verse number 21, those that are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven are those that do the will of my Father. Don't you think if your entrance into the kingdom of heaven is dependent upon you doing the will of God, you might want to make that the top priority of your life? Charles Spurgeon says, Not talking, but doing. Not loud profession, but quiet, practical godliness wins the day. Doing the will of doing the will of God. There is a will of God for how I act on the job. There is a will of God for how I treat the server at the restaurant. There is a will of God for how I treat my spouse. There is a will of God for how I treat my kids. There is a will of God for how my kids treat me. And if they don't know what that will is, I can give them a couple of nights Bible study on that. (laughs) There is a will of God. And my soul and your soul, salvation is dependent upon you and I doing the will of God. I've got some stuff I've included just for the sake. If you want to get the notes and study them later, I'm happy to share them. Well, you know, what if I don't know? What if I don't really know? Well, let's, let's see what the Scripture says about not knowing the will of God. Romans 2, beginning with verse 11, says this. For there is no respect of persons with God. Man, that's a very encouraging verse. If you don't know that verse and believe that verse, you need to get a hold of that verse. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't love one person more than He loves another person. He doesn't treat you one way because of your faults and failures and treat somebody else another way because they, they're not, they haven't committed the same mis- mistakes you have made. God is no respecter. There is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the work, <laughs> what the scripture says. For when the Gentiles, and, and understand here the, the terminology Paul is talking about to you and I is symbolic, the Gentiles being the unsaved. When the Gentiles 
Gentiles which have not the law. They don't have the law of God. Like the Jews, they don't have the law of God. Unlike the Jews, they don't have the law. They don't have the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. They don't have it. However, Paul says that without the law, by nature, they, they do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. So Paul is saying those that don't know the law, there's something inside of them that guides them with what is right and wrong. That's why it it doesn't matter what laws get passed in this nation to allow things that the Word of God says are sin. You can't stop the guilt and the shame that comes as a result of violating God's law. Because there's something inside of us called a conscience that God put there to help guide us. So, further speaking of the Gentiles, Paul says, which show, the Gentiles show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So here's, you know, here's the question everybody always or many people want to ask when you tell them you know, the plan of salvation. Well, what about the person in the middle of the Amazon jungle that's never heard the name Jesus and never had a Bible. And First of all, how sad is it that we want to go to the ultimate extreme of an excuse, number one. But watch this. Here, to me, is the real answer to that. Listen to what, jo- what John says in John chapter 1. That was the true light which lighteth Some men that come into the world. Who does the light get to? Every man. Well, how does the light get to that guy down in the Amazon jungle that's never heard the Word of God and never had a Bible? I'll be very honest with you. I don't know that I can explain that to you, but what I do know is this. The Word of God is true, and it doesn't lie. And so according to the Word of God, every man, every man that comes into the world somehow is exposed to the true light. Paul said it this way, using the grace of God in Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to All men, all men, all men, not some men, men here being uh, humanity, not, not gender specific. The grace of God has appeared to all mankind. I'm going to say it again. I'm just being honest. I'm being transparent. I'm not going to make up some... Whatever, I, I cannot explain that verse to you exactly. The, all I know is the Word of God does not lie. Somehow, some way, 
according to what John says and according to what Paul says, every individual born somehow is exposed to the true light and is exposed to the grace of God that brings salvation. The problem is sometimes the way we are exposed is in such a gentle way that we don't even recognize it. The Lord says in Revelation through John, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Any man that will open, I'll come in, I'll sup with him. I know it doesn't explain it all, but I'm just going to tell you, every time I read that verse, think of that verse, I imagine it this way. God is standing at the door of the hearts of every human being, knocking very gently. He's not pounding. He's not trying to beat the door down. He's knocking very gently. That's part of the reason why it's so, it's so dangerous for us that when we sin, God doesn't knock you upside the head every time you make a mistake. He doesn't kick you in the backside every time you make a mistake. Most of the time, God's dealing with us is that gentle kind nudge in our hearts, in our spirits. And the problem is if we think, well, if, if he really didn't like this, he'd really, you know, he'd whack me good. And so therefore we interpret God's kindness and gentleness as being God doesn't really care. And so we continue on in the same path when God really does care. So... According to what we've read, according to what Paul said, the Gentiles who may not know the law of God, there is a law that is written in their hearts, and if they will listen to that law, then they will be guided to do the the right things. And if they can do that without the law, how much more... Should you and I, who have the law of God, if we are born again, where's the law of God? A little classroom interaction here. When we're born again, he, he writes the law in our hearts. It's no longer an external resource. It's now something put with inside of us to guide us. So there's, there's no excuse. And, and so... Watch, watch, watch this. Well, let's, let's, go, let's go here. Luke 12, 42. I should have paid better attention to Instagram. I forgot to take the top off my water. Luke, 40, Luke 12, 42. And the Lord said... Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his Lord when he shall when he cometh shall find so doing. Shall find so doing what? His will. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and to drink, 
and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant shall will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now, now watch this, watch this. Again, this, this is, if you think there's any pleasure and enjoyment out of this topic this evening and teaching this, you are, you are greatly mistaken. <laughs> Eternal punishment, hell, is not going to be the worst for the drug addict, the alcoholic, the perverted, the serial killer, the rapist. That's not who hell's is. It, is are they going to be punished? Yes. Are those that never followed God's ways going to be punished? Yes. But listen to what the Lord says. The servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. He that knew not, and did commit things worthy of strife. He that didn't know the law and broke the law, he, he's going to be beaten with few stripes. Still going to be punished. Still going to be punishment. However, unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much... Of him they will ask the more. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I'm, I hope you hear me tonight. The fact that you and I have been exposed to what we are exposed to. Not because it's me, but the fact that you're hearing what you're hearing tonight brings a level of accountability to your life. You can treat this half, half, haphazardly, half-heartedly if you want to. You can sit there and analyze every little thing and every little decision and you can critique every little thing that's preached and taught and make up your mind what you think is necessary and what you think is unnecessary, what you think is really what the Bible says versus what you think that, you know, I'm, I'm now becoming the old pastor. For years I was young, but it, it, ain't, it ain't that case anymore. I mean... 50 ain't ancient, but 50 ain't young, so. Sit there and do that if you want to. But you're making a grave risk that if what's being said really is based on the Word of God, there is a greater level of accountability. So, okay, so what's, what's the response? The ridiculous response of some is, well, man, I didn't ask to be here. I didn't ask to be told all of this. I didn't ask to be born in an apostolic home. I didn't ask to be accountable. You're missing the point. Everyone's going to get punished that doesn't do the law. The only difference is the level of punishment. And if all a person wants to do is get focused on the level of punishment that I didn't ask to know all of this, how ridiculous is that? Because the right perspective is, look what you've gotten to know and what it has the potential of saving you from. 
Notice the difference between what the Lord said to Adam and Eve and what Satan said. God in His instructions to Adam and Eve said, you can eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good. Every tree, God's focus was on, was, was on everything that was available. Satan comes along and says to Eve, what did God say? Didn't God say, you can't have this tree? Completely ignores everything God said they could have. Completely ignores all of the trees of the garden that God said, eat from it freely. really one of the biggest challenges that young people growing up in the church have. The enemy wants to constantly get you focused on all the things you don't have, the things you can't do, the places you can't go, the things you can't wear, the things you can't listen to, the things you can't watch. When there's all kinds of things that are available to you, there's all kinds of things that God has made freely available to you. See, this, this concept, this principle that Jesus is talking about here was not something new to Jesus' day. It really was something that was established from the very beginning of the children of Israel. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 27 says this, If any soul sin through ignorance, he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. You shall, you shall have one law. Listen to this. You're going to have one law for those that sin through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. But the soul that's, that doth ought, that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproach, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment. That soul shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be upon him. There, there's a penalty and there's things that have to be done. Whether you sin in ignorance or knowingly. Both of them, there's some punishment if you don't deal with them. But what God is saying is there is a difference between those who sin out of ignorance and those who knowingly go against the Word of God. You don't deal with them the same way. God doesn't deal with it the same way. There, there's, two, there's two, you know, we always want to focus, and I, I want to focus on the story of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son represents 
someone who was walking with God, a Christian, a disciple, a saint, whatever you want to call them, and somehow they lose their way and they wander off. And we all, many of us have loved ones tonight that we want to know and believe that they can come back home and be restored in the Father's house. And they can be. We've watched it. Some of you here tonight have been. We've had some people just in the last couple of weeks that are in that process. But go read what Hebrews says. I believe it's chapter 6. Because there it says something very different and very sobering. Because there it says that it is impossible. Impossible. For those who have tasted of the heavenly gift and then to turn away, it is impossible for them to be restored. Apparently there's a difference between the actions of the prodigal son who for whatever reasons wanders away, walks away from the father's house versus the person who intentionally, calculated, makes decisions to disregard the word of God in their lives. One of them has the potential of being restored to the Father's house, right back to the place they were. No demotion, no punishment restored. The other one has no hope. Listen to what the Lord says in Lamentations chapter 4. For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people. Listen listen, listen to that. Can y'all read that? I can barely read it on my iPad again. I got to change the way I do these. For the punishment of the iniquity of who? Who? The daughter of who? My people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment and had no hands stayed on her. God looks down on Sodom and Gomorrah and because of the sinfulness and the wickedness of it, He he decides He's going to judge the city and He's going to destroy it. And, 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 And Abraham intercedes for Lot and his family and God provides a way of escape for them. But God destroys that city because of the... un. I mean, there were things going on in that city that rival the things that are going on in our world today. These angels come to Lot's house and the men of the city come to Lot's house and they want Lot to send the men outside so that they can have sexual interaction with the men. And Lot's like, I, these are my guests, I can't you? But I'll give you my daughters. First of all, what in the world kind of a father is that? But, but, but then beyond that, he says, I'll give you my daughters. And they respond, we don't want your daughters. I know I'm saying a few words that some of you parents may have to give explanation for later. Sorry, been there, done that. (laughs) Do try to be mindful of it. Honestly, I do. 
But you, I, I just, I, you got to remind you at least in, in the as general way as I can of, 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 of Sodom. And God says the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater punishment. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel. If you read the first couple of verses of Ezekiel chapter 40 or chapter 16, you will find that the verses I'm about to read, it's referencing Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, a place that was so significant throughout Scripture. Significant for King David, significant for Solomon, extremely significant in the life of Jesus. Jerusalem. You know what the word, one of the meanings of Jerusalem is? City of God. So you've got to get that what he's talking about here is Jerusalem, a very special, sacred place. But he says this, And thine elder sister is Samaria, she and her daughters that dwell at thy left hand, and thy younger sister that dwelleth at thy right hand is Sodom and her daughters. So he's figuratively speaking to Jerusalem. You've got Samaria as one sister, and you've got Sodom as another sister. Yet hast thou not walked after their ways? nor done after their abominations, but as if that were a very little thing, thou was corrupted more than they in all thy ways. Oh, Lord. You got Samaria and Sodom, two places that have very negative reputations, especially Sodom. And God is saying to His city, to His people, that you have corrupted more than they have. As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom thy sister hath not done, she nor her daughter, as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. I, I, I hope you haven't tuned me out. I hope you haven't checked out on me. Do you, do you see that? As I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom, the city that God destroyed with fire. He's saying to His people that, that Sodom thy sister has not done, she nor her daughters, as thou have done, thou and thy daughters. What? How in the world can that be possible? Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Neither hath Samaria committed half of thy sins, but thou hast multiplied thine abominations more than they, and hast justified thy sisters in all thine abomination which thou hast done. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you have justified Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no place that I know of, there's no evidence where the sinfulness of Sodom, 
The acts that were going on in Sodom were going on in Jerusalem. There's no place I know of that communicates that same level of despicableness was taking place. And yet God says here, Jerusalem, you've done worse than them and you have justified them. How is that? Why is that? I think the reason is because they knew better than Samaria and they knew better than Sodom. They had the law of God to lead them and guide them. They had the light of the gospel and the light of the word of God to light their path. They they didn't have to walk down the same Sodom didn't know any better and Samaria didn't know any better but Jerusalem knew better. I know it's Thursday night and I'm supposed to be teaching but they knew better. Don't make it. I know I, 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 I know we got some guests tonight. Please don't don't, don't judge me all by tonight. <laughs> but that's why you can go sit in a theater and watch filth on the screen with a bunch of ungodly people. And God's a whole lot more concerned with you than He is with them because you know better. You know better. They don't know any better. They don't know it. Yes, the Word of God is written in their hearts, as Paul said. I get that. But, but there, it's also, to me, it's implied from Paul that there's a difference between the Gentiles and the law in their hearts and those that are saved and the law of God in their hearts. They don't know any better. They don't know any better than to dabble in ungodliness, worldliness, perversion, sexual immorality, witchcraft, and whatever else it is. They don't know any better. But you and I have tasted of the heavenly gift, and oh, what a blessing it is. He says, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you, I, we, we, can, we can walk in here service after service after service and do our little apostolic thing and think that we are condemning the world because of what we do. And God looks at us if we are not living according to His will. God looks at us and says, I don't care what you're doing. You're justifying them. Because maybe what you're doing is different than what they're doing or the acts you're doing is different than the acts they're doing. But the bottom line is you're doing things that my will does doesn't want you doing. I have tried to lead you otherwise. Both those that commit the sin in ignorance and those that commit it knowingly, both will be beaten with stripes. Adam Clark says, For petty offenses the Jews in many cases inflicted a few as four, as so few as four, five, and six stripes. From this and the preceding verse, we find that it is a crime to be ignorant of God's will. Did you, did you read that? I know that's not scripture there, but did you read that statement? It is a crime to be ignorant of God's will. Because to everyone, God has given less or more of the means of instruction. Those who have had much light or the opportunity of receiving much and have not improved it to their own salvation and the good of others shall have punishment proportioned to the light they have abused. 
Matthew eleven twenty, similar to the verses I've just read to you, but he says this. Then began he, Jesus, to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. The cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. If those cities had known and experienced what you've experienced, they would have repented it. And you've experienced everything I've done and the things that I've said. You've experienced things they've never experienced and you've rejected it. If they would have experienced it, they would have changed. And here you are having experienced it, yet walking down the wrong path. But I say unto you, listen listen to this, back to this idea of few stripes and many stripes. I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. (laughs) The city... I don't know of any other city that God ever destroyed the way... I know the earth was destroyed with a flood, but when it comes to a particular city, I don't know of any other story in all of history, in Bible history, where a city was destroyed by fire from heaven. How how terrible does the sin of a city have to be to move a just and a loving God to the place to decide I am destroying that city because God is always about mercy and grace. When God goes to the extreme of judgment, it's because He has done so much to try to get someone's attention. Judgment is not God's first response. Judgment is not God's first reaction to mankind individually or collectively. It's mercy, and it's mercy many times, over and over and over. And so to live in such a way to push God to the point to say, I am going to destroy this city wow wow and yet God says after all of that in the day of judgment it's going to be better for Sodom than for Capernaum because you knew my word you saw what I can do you 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 were exposed to my spirit and the working of my spirit but you didn't let it govern your lives and you didn't live according to my will and so on the day of judgment it's going to be better for Sodom I'm sorry, folks. I, 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 I guess I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know if I'm sorry or not. 
This, this walking for walking with God thing, this Christianity or disciple or whatever term you want to use thing is not just a luxury in our lives. This is not a take it or leave it. This is not just, you know, it's not just about whether or not you're going to uh, go on vacation or not. Or am I going to, this isn't the gym. Go to the gym, don't go to the gym. Work out, don't work out. This isn't that, folks. This isn't that. This is an eternal matter. And for me to just flippantly make my decisions and sit around trying to figure out how much can I get away with? How much can I tolerate in my life? You mean how much can you be like Sodom when you've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light? How much can you live like the world when you've been given an opportunity the world was never given to be able to live in the glorious light of the gospel? Better for Sodom. Better for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you and I apostolics that don't do the will of God. Talk in tongues all you want to talk in tongues. Dance and shout all you want to do, shout and dance. Are you doing the will of God? Are you living according to the principles of the Word of God? Are you living according to the knowledge God has given you? Because come to church every single time the doors are open and do your Christianity thing, but don't let God have full control of your life. And He's saying on the day of judgment, it's going to be better for Sodom than for you. I didn't come to get this wound up tonight, I promise you. Jameson Fawcett Brown says this about that woe unto thee, Bethsaida. On the western side of the Sea of Galilee, to the north of Capernaum, the birthplace of three of the apostles, the brothers Andrew and Peter and Philip, these two cities appear to be singled out to denote the whole region in which they lay. A region favored with the Redeemer's presence, teaching and works above every other. You were exposed to things that not everybody else was exposed to. You had opportunities to experience things that not everybody had the opportunity to experience. And you, you rejected it. You didn't take advantage of it. You lived with your religiosity in some little nice form or fashion. And he's saying the day of judgment. The day of judgment. is going to be worse for you than for those cities. For the child of God that knew right and wrong and resisted it, refused to live by it, eternity is going to be worse for you than the people that are hanging out on the block in Baltimore. Worse than those that are in some crack house tonight addicted to drugs. 
because we've been given an opportunity. I'm going to say it again. And I, I, it, it seems, that in one way, it seems to be absolutely ludicrous that somebody could think this way. But I would not be surprised if somebody in this sanctuary this evening, in some form or fashion, the thought hasn't crossed your mind. Well, then I wish I just was never exposed to this. What? What? What kind of ignorance is that? So what you're saying is, I would have rather just been beaten with few stripes. Because either way, you're going to get punished if you don't surrender and submit to the way. Either way. So you're saying, I would have rather have not had the chance to have salvation so that I'll be punished less? I don't think so. Who is going to enter into my kingdom? Those that do my will. Not just my will when it comes to the big choices. Those that do my will every single step of the day. And believe me, I'm not talking about we got to do it perfectly all the time. Because not one of us can and not one of us will. A righteous man falls seven times. Not preaching, teaching perfection here tonight. But I am pretty, I am talking about what's your motive. What is the intent? Because there's a big difference between my heart being right and moving in the right direction and stumbling and falling versus rebelliousness. I've said it numerous times in different settings, but I'll say it. Again, I have tried, especially when my kids entered the teenage years, not to discipline them strictly based on their actions. Because in all honesty, it's very easy just to discipline on the action. They break a rule, you broke the rule. Here's the punishment. That's easy. Told you not to do this, you did it. You're grounded. You're whatever. The problem is this. The majority of the time, hear me parents, you've heard me say this before, but hear me again. I believe with all of my heart, the majority of the time, when your kids and my kids are disobedient, break rules, whatever else, it is not out of rebellion. Selah. It's not rebellion. Not saying it's never rebellion. But I think the majority of the time it's not. The majority of the time there's something else that's going on. And the actions are the fruit of what's going on. And you deal with it differently. My preference was rebellion. Because if it was rebellion, we're going to butt heads, go to let's go. If it was rebellion up to a certain age, it was go to the bathroom. We'll be right there with the paint stick from Home Depot. Because God deals with you and I the same way. If God dealt with us strictly on our actions, not one of us would be here tonight. 
If all God did was deal with us based on our actions, we wouldn't have a hope. But God looks beyond our actions and looks at the heart. Does that mean that it's okay when we mess up because there's something else going on? Of course not. If you sin, you need to repent. But God is interested in your heart. And so I'm not talking about living the will of God perfectly. We can't do it. If the Apostle Paul says, the things that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. If the Apostle Paul had that struggle, do you think you and I? I know Paul said, God's no respecter of persons, and that's true. But I'm just going to tell you, in my natural carnal mind, Paul and I are not equal. Paul's way up there, and I'm down here. So if Paul says he's got that kind of struggle, you and I think we're somehow going to get this all right and do it correctly all the time? Absolutely not. But there's a big difference between stumbling and falling unintentionally versus your conscious decisions to contradict, to go against the Word of God. There is a big difference in the way God deals with that. See, we got this. Uh, we got this term. I think it started after I was in school, so a younger generation. The place I hear it the most has been in sports. I think other places, but you're playing basketball and somebody throws you a pass and you drop it and mess up, or you throw a bad pass and you respond, "Ah, my bad, my bad." Just go on about your business. You acknowledge you messed up, but, you know, whatever, my bad. Let me tell you something, folks. When it comes to sin, it's not, ah, my bad, God. When it comes to mistakes and failures, it's not just, well, my bad. I just had a bad day. Most of you know this verse, but I want to know if you really believe this verse. James 4.17 Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's not a my bad. To him it is sin. And there's only one way to deal with sin. You've got to repent. And again, repentance is not, oh, my bad. Repentance is not an apology. Repentance is a change of direction. It is a change of mind. A change of mind that brings you in alignment with the mind of God. You see, I also... I said about our kids that I don't think the majority of what's done is out of rebellion. I also believe that for most believers that are sincerely trying to walk with God and live according to the Word of God, the, the most common sins that you and I commit is not the things we do we shouldn't have done. But let's, let, is it just me or 
Are there others in this room that would agree that usually when you think of sin, the first thing that typically comes to mind with sin is the things that you shouldn't do? And so therefore, the problem is this. We start initially thinking about all the things that you shouldn't do that are sin, and we can start going down the list. Well, I haven't done that. Haven't done, I haven't killed anybody today. Felt like it, but I didn't. Didn't commit adultery today. Haven't stolen anything. Haven't. Okay, well, I didn't do any of those things I shouldn't do. I'm good. And unfortunately, a lot of us stop there. The problem is, sin is not just what you do that you should not do. Sin is when you don't do what you should do. When's the last time you had a season of repentance? A genuine season of repentance over the things that you aren't doing that you should do. Not repentance over the things you've done, you shouldn't have done, but over the things you have done, or excuse me, the things you haven't done, but you know to do. That means when I mistreat my wife, when I do not treat my wife lovingly and kindly, I know to do that. I have sinned. sin. I mistreat my brother. I mistreat my sister. I mistreat my kids. I know how I'm supposed to. Really, I think the will of God falls more into this category here because the will of God is, in essence, about doing Doing the things I'm supposed to do. Whether that's the things I know I'm supposed to do from His Word that apply to every one of us. Or if it's the things that have to do with the individual unique callings on your life. Not every one of you have to worry about not preaching the gospel and in a certain context, we're all supposed to proclaim the gospel, but not all of you have to worry about your salvation dependent upon your preaching because you haven't been called to preach. My salvation, I don't preach just because it's a fun thing to do. I don't just preach because that's my job. I preach because I know I was called. And Paul said it this way, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. That's why it's a, it's a sobering thing to decide, well, I'm called to preach. Because if you're called to preach, you now have taken on a level of responsibility that others don't necessarily have. Paul said in one place, he says, I, I beseech you that you, work, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. 
to live in accordance with the calling on your life. And so we're not all called to the same thing. We're not all called to the same ministry. Paul says that we are, we're the body of Christ. And Paul talks about the body having different members and not every member of the body doing the exact same thing, but every member doing what it's supposed to do. And so it's not your job and my job to all be clones of each other. But there are some things, according to the Word of God, that apply to all of us. And then there are those things that God is individually calling us to. When that day comes for you, are you going to be able to walk with some level of confidence? I think there should still be a decree of fear and trembling. Job talks about God's terrible majesty. Again, I said it a little bit in the beginning. We get so caught up in, you know, I mean, God's my homie. God's my man. God's my boy. God's my... What in the world? There's a side of God that ought to produce some fear and trembling. Yes, there's a whole side to God that is grace and mercy and love and compassion and all of that is a wonderful thing. But we owe it to ourselves not to forget there's another side to God. Go Just, just read, re- reread if you haven't done it in a while. Go reread through some of the Gospels and read the difference in the way Jesus talks to and treats the sinner versus how he treats those that profess religion. (laughs) They bring a woman caught in adultery, caught in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus. The law says she's to be stoned. What do you say? He kneels down in the ground. He begins to write in the ground. He responds to them and says, whoever has no sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And one by one, the scripture says this very clearly, from the youngest, excuse me, from the eldest to the youngest. Meaning the youngest the young people were holding on to their rock the longest because they were still too young and immature to realize, oh, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff. The old people were like, oh, oh well. The young people were like, I don't know, let me think about this for a moment. Jesus had every, every right to call for judgment on that woman. And then he says to her after he tells them that, he says, woman, where, where are your accusers? Where's all those that brought you here and accused you? And she looks up and they're all gone. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. She's caught in adultery. And the God who made the law to not commit adultery says to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. But then he goes into the temple and gets a whip, kicks over tables, 
drives people out. Who was he driving out? Not the sinners. The religious. Well, that's just not fair. It's not fair that he would treat them that way and treat the religious. What? <laughs> what? The gift of salvation that give, gave you the privilege of now knowing? <laughs> that's not fair? Those that don't do what God wants are all in eternity going to be beaten with stripes, going to be punished. All unsaved sinners will be punished. But to those that knew the will of God and refused to do it, chose to not do it. They're also going to be punished, but with a greater punishment. If you sin in ignorance, you still got to deal with it. But there's a difference between sinning in ignorance and knowingly, willfully choosing to disregard, disobey the Word of God. I, I, don't, I don't mean I'm not... This is not about fishing for something from you. and I don't mean it to be whatever, but I, I hope that what I feel like I'm feeling is not correct. Because i got to tell you what I what I'm feel like I'm feeling... It's just kind of, uh, whatever. Of course, the reason for that is the acknowledgement that if you accept what's being said, you know you've got to make some changes. You know you've got to make some changes and you're just not interested. Well, I'm really sorry to tell you you're now accountable. You're now accountable. Father, I trust that by Your grace I have said and done this evening what You have given me, what You have wanted to say. God, I pray that if there is any element of me, any element of humanity, in anything that's been said or done tonight, I first of all ask that you would forgive me, but secondly, I pray for these precious people tonight that your grace would cover them. God, if what I have spoken, what I have said, is according to your word and according to your will, and I pray tonight, God, for every person that's here, every person that's watching, and every person that I have the responsibility at this time of being the pastor of, I pray, God, that somehow their hearts would be good ground for the seed of Your Word tonight. 
God, I pray, don't let there be people in this place tonight or people that are watching that are like that wayside ground that is so hard that the seed gets thrown on it, but it never has the opportunity to take root, to germinate, to grow. Oh God, I pray right now that if there are any hearts that are possibly in that condition tonight, that Your Word, Your Spirit would soften the ground of our hearts, that it would make it able to receive the seed of Your Word tonight, God, that that seed might grow and produce inside of us the the fruit that You intended to produce. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, oh God, don't let us live this life, live this Christian life in such a way that when we stand before You, we hear You respond to us and say, depart from You. You don't know us because we didn't do Your will. So God, whether it's the big decisions of our lives, our career path, our ministry path, the, the spouse that we choose to marry, whatever other big choices we got to make in life. God, I pray tonight that it's not just those areas in which we are concerned about Your will. But I pray, God, that You would help us to be mindful of Your will every moment of the day, every decision that we make, every action, everything we choose to do, everything we choose to involve ourselves in, that in those moments we would also be mindful of Your will. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, come on, it's, it's, it's really early compared to when we get out sometimes, so would you just for another moment or two here, come on, I, I don't care what condition you're in tonight, all of us, I, I, I try when I'm on your end of the receiving end, I try to have this same approach, if it, I don't, I don't want to sit and justify where I am, I'm okay, I'm doing it all right, God, if you're talking to me, God, if there's something I might be missing, if there's something I'm, I'm overlooking, if I've got some blind spots in my life, God, where I'm not doing Your will, where I'm missing the fact that I'm not doing Your will, God, search me. Search me, God. Search my heart, God. Search me, oh God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, we need the revelation of your grace. We need the revelation of your mercy. We need the revelation of your love. But we also need the revelation of the seriousness of what we're doing. We also need the revelation of the weight of eternity that rests upon us doing or not doing your will. Don't let us live. We don't want to live in condemnation and shame. We, we want to live in your grace and your love and your mercy, but we also need to live with the soberness that this life is going to impact my eternal life. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. 
Ikaramando loboshe ye alaramando riala bahaya. Ikaramanda ye alaraboko reye alarabose ki arata bahaya. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I I don't always do this. In fact, I'm not sure I really ever remember doing this before. I I, want to challenge you, if you want the notes from tonight, email me. I'll share them if you want them as a starting point. But I, I I would challenge you at some point in the next couple of days... To dig a little bit on your own in the context of what's been taught tonight. See what else the Lord might lead you to. The Bible says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I believe in the love of God. The love of God is absolutely essential. It's critical. It's the only reason we can be here. But again, there's another side that we need of a reverence and a respect and a fear of God. It's a healthy thing. I I don't I feel like I have some peers that have said the same thing. I don't feel like it. Maybe I did, but I don't feel like I ever did. I ever developed that look with my kids. The thing my peers and I say is our dads had a look. And when they gave you that look, the look, you knew you better stop right now. There's no doubt in my mind my dad loved me as a kid, teenager, and still loves me now. But there was also a respect and a reverence to know there was another side of him that because he loved me, he would discipline me. Because he loved me, he would correct me. Our Heavenly Father is no different. And as I've already said tonight, anything he does allows or anything he does not do is all motivated by his love. Everything. No matter what you're going through, no matter what prayers you're praying that God may not be answering, if you can just hold firm to the fact that God loves me and everything is based on His love, doesn't necessarily make it all easier, but at least you know, this isn't to crush me, kill me, to destroy me. It's for my good. So I, I, I'm, I'm encouraging you. I... I There's no way that I have exhausted this topic and this perspective this evening. So I'm challenging you to spend a little time on your own and see what else God might want to say to you and show you and convict you about in your own life. In Jesus' name, God bless you. We have service Sunday morning. Actually, Sunday morning is going to be an exciting time. Our Hispanic 
daughter work is joining us in service. The whole service is going to be bilingual Sunday morning, worship, preaching. Um, so we're looking for, forward to that and then church Sunday night as well. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this evening. Hope to see you in a couple of days.